0: Welcome to Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros. Here you'll learn everything you need to know to be a successful real estate entrepreneur and achieve the financial freedom you've always wanted. There's no BS, no fluff, there's zero guru talk, just real real estate flipping knowledge. Here's your host, Greg Simpson. Hey, what's up everybody? It's Greg here and today I have with me Mike, is it Cowper? Cowper, yep. I have Mike Cowper with me from just outside Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Mike is a wholesaler, is a landlord, and kind of does a little bit of everything. Does some rehabs as well. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks,
1: Greg. Really excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Are you are you really from Detroit?
1: Well, so growing up, um, I was actually born in Alaska. My dad was working in the oil fields in Prudhoe Bay. So I was born there, moved to Florida through most of elementary and part of middle school. Where have uh, Actually, we moved around a little bit, but we kind of landed in Jupiter uh, near West okay. Palm Beach. Yep. So that's kind of where I grew up, uh, you know, in my younger years. I and mean, while we are there, my dad actually did uh, real estate. And, you know, it's just a one-man band kind of going around, flipping, wholesaling, whatever it was uh, to provide for the family. Um, but then he ultimately moved back to Michigan where our families are all from. So I've been here since ooh, like 1999, I think. So quite a while now. <laughs> awesome.
0: Tell us about your family. Are you married? Do you have kids? Anything like that?
1: Yeah, I'm married. I've got a son who's two and a half. Um, it, it's awesome. So I got two siblings um,
0: and they actually,
1: everyone does live here except my one sister. She's still down near Tampa in Florida.
0: Oh, I'll have to, when you come down and visit her, you have to come visit me. Deal. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So I'm going to cut right to the chase, Mike. What has real estate done for you and your family? Usually, I I let this question go to the very end, but I kind of want to get this one out in the open right away. What has it done for you and your family? It has given
1: me the ability to live how I want to live. I probably put more hours in than I ever did when I was still working. Um, You know, I have a long sales background before going into real estate, but it allows me to live my life on my own terms and. I think that's incredibly valuable. My my wife is able to stay home with our son. I'm able to work a schedule that fits me. So, you know, I can be up at 4:35 in the morning, get a bunch of work done, still breakfast with my family, have lunch with my family if I choose to, if I don't want to go in the office that day, I don't have to. It just gives me the freedom to choose, which I think is incredibly important.
0: Awesome. That's great. I mean, that's what we all, all everyone listening to this podcast should be striving for. But you said something that to to me that already triggered something, and I I want the Alliance to go back and listen to this right out of the gate, guys. You said something you put more hours in than you did in your old job. Explain that a little bit and why you have to do that.
1: Well, the reason I I do that, one, I want to. It's weird. When, When you're working for yourself, trying to build something for you and your family, you have energy for it almost all of the time. And you'll find that you'll just spend your free time wanting to work on growing, building, building your business, finding a better efficiency, building a better system, finding a better person to work with you or helping that person that's already working with you get better so you can all grow together. But you'll find it just starts being what consumes you, um, you know, in a positive way. I used to love playing video games. I got the new PlayStation 4 and I think I've played one game in the past three years. It's just, <laughs> it used to be a hobby that I used to enjoy, but now I just find I don't have time for it because I spend it all on either working on trying to stabilize and increase our business and then spending time with my family and friends.
0: Yeah, I'm the same boat. I, I have been looking at PlayStation 4 for a long time and I have not pulled the trigger because I just don't know if I'm ever going to have time for it.
1: <laughs> it really doesn't. I mean, like I said, with the hours worked, you realize that you're the person that is responsible for everybody else that's on your team, whether they work for you directly or they work for you indirectly, like a, maybe an agent or a contractor. Mm-hmm you're somewhat responsible for their income as well. If you're running a business, you're definitely responsible for your own income. So you do put in the hours that are necessary, whatever that might look
0: like. Exactly. And that's, that's something that um, will be coming up on further podcasts. We've kind of hit on other podcasts is that there is no done for you system, right, Mike? There's nothing out there that you can just go buy somebody's program or somebody's system and it's done for you and you don't have to put the work in.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Right. There's a lot of great coaching and mentoring and masterminds that I think are incredibly helpful, but all they are is a map. They're not going to actually get you where you need to go. They're going to show you the right direction, but no one's going to do the work for you. It's mm-hmm. just
0: not realistic. I agree. But I wish that we as a society would put down those people that say they have that system for people. And that's <laughs> kind of why I built this podcast the way I built it and what, I, what the mission was of this podcast is to get out there that people don't, you can't go buy somebody's done for you system and expect it to just work. It just doesn't work like that, guys. And I, Mike, would you agree? A hundred
1: percent agree. There, there's, I mean, if they really had a system that would do it all for you, why would they even bother
0: selling it <coughs> everywhere
1: all the time? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I think one of the biggest problem with these supposed gurus out there is that they, they take you for, all the money that you've got saved up and their quote unquote system is broken and it doesn't actually work in, these, in, in today's world.
1: Yeah. I think you know, there's a, a big value of having a mentor and someone that helps show you the ropes. It's like a podcast. that okay. listen to a ton of them. They help show you where to go, but they're not going to do it for you. And, and nothing out there does do it for you. So you've got to have that drive. You've got to understand you know, what they, the coaching and, and groups might help you with is making sure you're not wasting your time on useless efforts or sure. not the most productive efforts. They're, they're going to help cut through some of the weeds, help you not make mistakes that you don't need to make. You know, you can learn from other people's mistakes. That's probably one of the most incredible valuable things you can do is seeing where somebody else failed and not falling
0: into that same pitfall. Absolutely. So do you, would you mind sharing some of those podcasts that you listen to that, that, have, uh, that helped you out?
1: Well, it's funny, they kind of evolved over time. I stopped listening mm-hmm. to so many real estate ones because I found that they started to get a little bit repetitive in nature. Yeah, I don't but, listen
0: to any real estate ones anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one that's been probably the most beneficial for me lately is in my point in business is managing people and recruiting talent and things like that. So I've been listening to the Manager Tools podcast. Okay. They have uh, a basics version, which is essentially their, their trinity, they call it, the, the three things that are most impactful, but then they have an ongoing weekly one that I really like a lot. I do always like the real estate guys. I like their their podcast. I like that one. I find it's pretty, not generic, but it covers a lot of different topics and a lot of different ideas, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty cool. I listen to Joe Rogan just because it's so, mm-hmm. so varied in different, in different avenues. I like Tim Ferriss's podcast a ton. That one I've always find very valuable. He's a little nuggets that you can grab from there. So it's usually a mixture of business and kind of entertainment that I try to, to bounce back and forth between.
0: Yeah, on the same, I, I listen to... Uh... I think my favorite one right now is uh, Annie Priscilla's The MF CEO Project. You listen to that one? No, I'm going to write uh, that down. It's a really good one. Um, it is very in your face. Again, if if you guys are uh, not not accustomed to the uh, the F word, uh, maybe it's not for you because uh, he just he kind of isn't in, in your face kind of guy, kind of like I am a little bit. <laughs> um, but it's a really good, very uh, very valuable podcast. You know, I just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where I basically laid out all of my favorite podcasts. So Mike, tell us how you got yourself into real estate investing. Well,
1: it's something I'd always wanted to do. Like I said, my dad had done it when I was younger. It always seemed like a great path to riches and, and being able to have and secure your own you know destiny. So we thought about it for a long time. Um, my history, I went through sales. I sold coffee machines. I worked at Thomson Reuters selling tax and accounting. And then I went to pharmaceuticals. Finally, you know, I'd been talking about it a long time. And one day my buddy just, you know, sat me down and we're having a beer and says, you've been talking about this forever. When are you just going to freaking do something? (laughs) So the the next day I looked up all the rear groups. I went to one that was close by. They had mentioned they have a mentorship program. I signed up the next day. And then two months later, I bought my first rental property. So I always value taking action. Um, So that's what I did. I I kind of put my money where my mouth was. I, I took extreme action and and, you know, pretty quickly started building up a portfolio of rentals. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, you know, that's kind of how I met my partner. I realized that the MLS was very competitive. I started reaching out, networking with other people about direct mail. He happened to be at a point in his business where he was looking to expand. He, he was a flipper for a long period of time, started testing direct mail, found he had too many deals he could handle, started selling the excess to his investing friends that he had, you know, he had networked with, mm-hmm. um, You know, and then combined forces with my sales skills, him being able to market and also understanding a flip better than I did. Um, You know, we just kind of teamed up and and really started to try and scale in our business. And that kind of goes through different coaching platforms and mastermind groups that we joined in. But ultimately, uh, that's kind of been the run since I started in 2014, November 5th was the first time I bought a house.
0: Wow, so you've been doing it for for three years then. Yep,
1: uh, (laughs) I've been doing very, very uh, crazy action.
0: (laughs) That's awesome, dude. That's really good. Um, so tell us about your, well, tell us a little bit about your business. Are you primarily a wholesaler or flipper landlord? Tell us a little bit about that, that landscape.
1: So as you mentioned in the beginning, I kind of have a lot of different fortes. My long-term plan is to just continue to acquire rental properties to have that long-term passive income. But as a day-to-day job, quote unquote, um, we are wholesalers. Our business is primarily sales and marketing if you really break it down to the nuts and bolts, we, we do a lot of marketing. We go out and talk to people about their homes that they're potentially interested in selling. We're always targeting people in somewhat of a distressed situation so we can actually provide a win-win solution. They've got themselves usually into some sort of situation that they need help with. And the way we can help them is buying their house for no hassles. So we, we answer the phones, we take the online leads, we call them, talk to them, schedule an appointment, send out our acquisitions team to go negotiate that purchase price. After that, uh, we either, well, we always market all of our deals to everybody, even if we end up flipping them. But we marketed everybody so they can have an opportunity to look at it because somebody might find more value in it than we do. So we let our, our buyers kind of dictate what the purchase price is and we put a target out there. Sometimes they overbid it, sometimes they underbid it. But eventually the market will tell you how much a property is worth and how much an investor is worth paying. And that's really what we do. I mean, that's kind of the nuts, the super high level version of what we do, right? We send out mail we get people to call, we go on an appointment, sign a contract, sell the contract, make sure it gets the closing.
0: Now where you are in in, outside of Detroit, do you guys do most of the assignments or do you double close or how how do you guys do that in your area? Because every area I've learned is a little bit different. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: So we try to assign everything. We don't want to incur the cost of double closing, Mm -hmm. potentially borrowing money if we don't need to. However, if we're going to make, a lot on a deal and it's a buyer that we maybe haven't worked with before and might be afraid of them balking at the price, we will double close. And also different situations. If a seller needs to close faster than a buyer can, we'll just buy it ourselves and hold on to it for the extra you know, few days or week okay. or whatever needs to be done. We basically try to assign everything, but we are flexible enough to be able to work in almost any situation to make sure we can get the deal you know, monetized.
0: Perfect. So Alliance, if you don't know what he means by assigning versus double closing, you need to go back and listen to my what actually is wholesaling podcast, because that explains the nuts and bolts of what a wholesale deal really looks like. And it's kind of just what like, Mike talked about there by you know the process of marketing to get the phone ringing, to get the appointments, to get the contracts, and then assigning them. And I kind of dive into that. So if you're kind of lost on what we were just talking about, go back and listen to that podcast episode, and you'll learn a little bit about exactly how a wholesale deal goes from start to finish. So so how did you find your niche? You started off as a, as a as a landlord essentially. How did you really move into wholesaling because that sounds like that's your niche, right? Yeah, that's our
1: primary niche. So I started off by just buying rentals. That that's the long-term strategy I see that is the most proven way to build wealth. Mm-hmm. So I was able to buy three properties in my first 4 or 5 months of investing and I just realized pretty quickly that the MLS was competitive. You you couldn't get the deals that I wanted to make the numbers work the way I wanted them to work. So I started reaching out locally to people that were doing direct mail. Uh, I believe I used bigger pockets to try and find people that had it in their profile. Went and met with like 10 or 15 different people just to get their ideas and their strategies. And then that's when I met my partner who was doing flips and had just started kind of wholesaling on accident, not realizing what he was Mm -hmm. kind of getting into because he was just trying to find deals himself for flips. And then he got too many and said, hey, he called up a buddy of his and said, would you be interested in this property at this price? They ran the number, said sure. And then he did his first assignment. <laughs> got it. So I happened to reach out and meet with him at a time where he was looking to expand and start doing more wholesaling and less flipping. And with my sales background, I basically offered to work for him for free just so I could learn, because I knew a little bit, You know, I was still relatively new in investing and I didn't know renovation costs or really how to do arv. I mean, I knew how to check for rental work because I could just basically get out on rent rates and, you know, expected costs, but maybe not have enough equity in it to really know, but same thing if if I can make 300 bucks a month cash flow, I guess I really don't care what the equity value of it is.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: So, that's kind of how I got started with him and and it just really is natural for me in terms of the sales side of the equation. I understand sales well. I'm good at them and it fits my personality. And that's why wholesaling works well for me. I I like to do a lot of things and wholesaling allows for that quick action and quick result. Whereas a flip and a rental takes a long time, potentially to see it all the way through fruition.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, up there and and outside of Detroit, what's your average assignment fee up there?
1: Right now, we're right around $13,000. Wow. Really?
0: Yep. Even that's impressive. That's a really good average.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we, we try to, I mean, our target for our business is the average 12,500. We've been a little bit better on it this year. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but we've had some pretty big winners in there. There's been a few that we sold much, much higher than expected. I still don't understand how they got Mm -hmm. those valuations that they wanted to pay for but it's not my job to necessarily tell people how to invest their money and what their exit strategy is because they might have something way more creative than I can wrap my brain around and and it works for them for some reason. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, Mike, since you've only been doing this for three years, I'm not going to call you a newbie, but you're, you can actually attest to what, uh, this next question is, is what do you think the most common mistakes that the newbies are making when they get in this business? I think they analyze just too much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very easy to fall in the,
1: well, what if this happens or that happens trap? And you, you try to educate yourself too much and you never actually do anything. Right. Yep. I, mean, I can give you a thousand different books about real estate. You're going to learn way more going and buying one property you'll find out all the mistakes and stuff. now that's not to say go in completely ignorant, try and have some guidance and mentors around you, or at least someone that you can ask questions of, you know, respectful of their time. But just going and doing something, at a flip, you can probably get hurt pretty hard. But if you're buying a rental, it's hard to really do it too wrong because if you plan on holding it for 10, 20 years on a long enough timeline, you should end up making money as long as you analyze what the rents are correctly and what the costs are gonna be correctly. Cause you can go over budget on a rehab on accident and, but still make that up over time.
0: Right. Absolutely. Uh, I would agree with that. I would say that the biggest mistake we see is people not taking any action because I don't, I don't know if it's they overanalyze. I think that's a big part of it, Mike, but I think that it's just that they're too scared to do anything in general. I don't even know if it's the analytical part. I think that just people are, are too scared to take any action because they're, they're stuck in their bubble. Uh, they're stuck in their mindset of the nine to five job where they're told what to do so they can't think for themselves. I don't want to say they can't think for themselves cuz I don't want to put down any of the newbies, but it's kind of like they can't they can't put themselves in the right mindset. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and I think you're 100% right. The the action is probably the bigger cause. I think I think I might have went deeper into it, but I think part of that analysis paralysis is that, you know, they have fears and and sure. it's fine to be afraid, but I mean, one thing I tell everybody in, in our coaching group as well as like on our team, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. because if you're not in an uncomfortable zone, you're probably not growing. You're probably not pushing yourself as hard as you should be. Now, that's not saying go out there and be reckless. There's a difference. But a, a phrase that me and my partner like to use is we're, we're cautiously aggressive. You know, okay. as long as it makes sense and we do a, an analysis that makes there's no reason for us to ponder over If it makes sense now, I mean, in, you know, in a year from now, why does it make sense to do it today? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's certain strategic timelines to do different things. But in general, if it makes sense in, you know, two weeks, why can't I just start it now?
0: I like it. I like it. So I, I don't get to ask this question a lot, Mike, do you guys have real estate licenses up there? Like do yeah. you or your team? I personally
1: do. I'm the only one on our team right now that has one. Um, okay. just, be aware of the, at least locally, uh, Michigan, what we have is a five transaction rule. So if you do more than five transactions, technically you have to have a license, <clears throat> even really? though we run it through our business, I have a license and our acquisitions manager is currently getting his license. I don't know if it's absolutely necessary or not, okay. I'd rather be on the side of caution and not put him in a bad spot because mm-hmm. I don't think it hurt our company it might hurt him more personally than anything if right. he got tagged for practicing real estate without a license. So we're funding that, making sure that he is able to get it and you know be a hundred percent on on the up and up. Even though I think technically he's okay, I don't even
0: want to risk it. <laughs> yeah, it's it, there's definitely a fine line, and uh, you know especially when you're doing assignments, it can get a little bit. It's definitely that gray area, if you will. Um, of practicing real estate without a license. That's why I kind of was alluding to the, RU double closing versus assigning everything? Because I feel like in, in the next few years, assignments, if you're not licensed, are going to be a little bit trickier to do if you're not licensed. Uh, that's just my gut feeling. I don't know if I'm correct on that, but that's just where I see the market going. The only reason
1: I would push back, I don't think that's the case, is because contract law right. is the one that supersedes it. And attorneys everywhere are more valuable than the real estate everything. right There's more attorneys that sign <laughs> contracts than there are agents to have that you know, lobbying. Correct. Right? So, so we'd have to actually change entire contract law, which I don't know the real estate has enough you know, pull for that. Sure.
0: <laughs> the only thing I think that we've seen is that what's going to be more uh, inclined to happen, the assignments I don't think are going to go away, but there's going to be more disclosure forms, if you will, or there has to be certain disclosures made to sellers uh, about the fact that you're going to assign your contract for a profit. Oh yeah. I mean, that's
1: right on our purchase agreement. We, mm-hmm. we, we call it out. Sure, so so we, is ours. We're, we're making money on this. We're, we're going to either assign it or buy it ourselves as long as we can find someone that works with us. So we're very open about it. And that's, that's another thing I think that maybe not everyone falls in that trap of, but being honest is fine. Like just cause you're going to make money on it. If you are helping somebody out, it's not a bad thing. And the fact right. that you're making money, then that's the value you're creating as a business. So trying to hide it, or, you know, maybe brush over certain things. It's not always the right way to do things. And that's where sometimes we can get a bad name as investors, the people that don't fully tell people what's going to happen and what to expect, because then they're caught off guard and shocked. And then their experience is a bad one because there's getting surprised left and right. Nobody Mm -hmm. likes surprises, especially when it comes to the situations we're typically working with with homeowners in a distressed situation. And then they keep getting hit with curveballs. They're not
0: going to be happy usually. Agreed. I 100% agree with that. And that's what I don't understand why there has to be so much shadiness or sneakiness around the fact that you're going to make money on that contract. If you're upfront with them about it, I have yet to have somebody say that, oh, I don't like the fact that you're going to make five grand, 10 grand on this deal when you're helping them, like you said, you're helping them out of that, that sticky situation that they've, they've got themselves into. I've never had that pushback. And I don't understand why people won't, won't be upfront with people and acting like they are all that, you know, I think the problem I have with it, Mike, is that people act like they are the buyer, and they are going to close on it themselves. And then they don't find that they don't actually don't find a buyer. And then they leave this seller in the lurch. And Now the seller's really in a bump.
1: Yeah, that that is the worst. That's what I always tell our team. Look, if it's a good price, and you know, we can do it, then you can be a little bit more confident in what you tell them. But rarely do people accept our first offer, right? There's some negotiation. Right. And then if we go up, we just make it even more clear that, we're going to test this number because it's higher than what we wanted. I mean, we have calculations, it's a formula. I mean, there's a bit of an art to it, but it's a lot of science and data driven. It's not like we're just pulling numbers out of a hat.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. And I like that. I like that style. So, what would you say was a, a rough patch in your business, Mike? And what did you kind of do to push yourself out of that rut?
1: So I guess the, the biggest challenge we had, and I don't know if this is gonna necessarily help with the, the newer folks or not, but but I think it's something to be targeting as you grow. We had our biggest challenge with identifying the right people to bring on so we could move ourselves to a higher and better purpose of our business as owners. So we hired quickly, held on to people too long, you know, basically breaking every rule of hiring. I didn't have much interviewing, managing, or any experience. Just because I was a good salesperson doesn't mean I was a good at becoming a manager, which I'm Mm. putting a lot of my time and effort into now. But I would say that the biggest struggle we had was we had to turn over our whole team like twice, which sucked. (laughs) Wow, that was awful. Because you know, one, we might have had the right people in place, but I just did a bad job of either training them or coaching them or holding them accountable. I mean, ultimately, end of the day, the buck stops at you, right? You're you're the decision maker. You made all the choices. Whether or not you put the wrong person in there, it was your fault for not being prepared to put them in there. I mean, I think there's an element of luck to it, but you can stack the deck in your favor. So our biggest challenge was taking the time needed to identify the right people and doing a full-on process of actually vetting that out, understanding what it was we were looking for, how we can hold them accountable, how we could train them, and then how to keep them motivated once they were on the team versus what we did is just hired people You know, put someone in the seat and then they weren't the right person, or the seat wasn't right for them, or we didn't clearly define what we expected out of them or communicate it properly. So that was our biggest challenge. And and how we got out of it was really just, you know, talking with other people that are going through similar struggles, educating myself through different means, not necessarily real estate related, but actually just coaching related, managing related, interviewing techniques, styles, utilizing different assessment tools like the disc. Mm-hmm. So, so being able to identify the right people is ultimately what's going to grow our business even further. Because I can't go on every appointment if I want to scale the way we want to, and I can't answer every phone call, and I can't market every property, and I can't do the work on everything. And nobody can if they want to build it to a certain level.
0: Hmm. Oh, absolutely. I love that. So, Mike, are you are you an investor fuse client? I am. I love okay, investor cool. fuse. I, I, that, that was part of what. <laughs> I, in
1: our first year, built out a Podio system, created automations and flows, hired <laughs> outside contractors, and, and it was working great until it wasn't. And then mm-hmm. I had to try and figure out where the heck it went wrong and, and where I messed up or figure out how to fix it and write code. And Investor Fuse is great. It's not 100% perfect, but nothing is, right? Because everybody no. has yeah. quirks to their business and uniqueness to what they're doing. And everyone would like to see something a little bit different. But InvestorFuse carries the water on most things. If there's an automation issue or there's a problem, you send them an email, they figure it out, which is the best. So I'm no longer an IT troubleshooter and you know I, I can barely turn on my computer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And that's why you know, a lot of my guests, guys, if you haven't been listening for a while, most of my guests or a lot of my guests have are on the InvestorFuse CRM platform, who Dan Schwartz has become a, a good buddy of mine, created on the Podio platform. So if you guys are look if you guys are newbies, disregard what I'm about to say. If you guys are doing several deals a month, or at least doing several deals every quarter, and are looking to scale, you guys need to go to InvestorFuse and use the uh, sign-up code Alliance to get ten percent off your InvestorFuse monthly charge.
1: What I would say on top of that, even for the new people, get on Podio and create yes. a space to manage your leads. Cause that is the lifeblood of our businesses. What are our leads? What are we doing with them? Are we continually following up with them and making sure we always have a next step? Even if you have the most rudimentary version of it, it'll get you used to the podium, And then when you do scale up, you can hop onto great investors point. and understand the platform completely.
0: Great point, great point. Okay, so Mike, you've been doing it for three years. So what's the one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? It's not that complicated.
1: I think people can really dig into different details, numbers, being creative and not, it's not as complicated as you need it, as some people make it out to be. I mean, basically you got to look at for a house that you can find a valuation on buying, by basically running comps, And that's a little bit of an art to it, but it's mostly science. Find stuff that's similar square footage, bedrooms, bathrooms, basement, and garage. And then you're going to find the ones that look really nice. And that's what it's probably worth if you did all that work. Mm -hmm. And in terms of renovation costs, it's not that complicated either. Kitchens, at least locally, you might want to talk to some people locally, but what we found, you know, four to seven grand, depending on the area, bathrooms, about two to three grand flooring about, you know, two to three bucks a square foot. If we're just kind of do a blended rate, you know, two to $3 for paint and those cover your big ticket items that you can estimate most of a renovation based on that. And the same thing, you know, finding contractors, just post thing on Craigslist, get a bunch of people at the house at the same time so you're not spending all day trying to find you know, the perfect contractor. So it's not as complicated as it seems. I mean, there's some, some basic numbers that you have to understand, but a lot of it you're going to learn just by doing and, and getting out there and, and maybe making a mistake or two or, or trying it yourself first and then bouncing it off of somebody that might have more experience and you say, hey, I ran comps and this is what I came up with. Here's how I came up with it. Would you mind double checking? right? After you've done the work, you've kind of taken the repetition, then they can correct the areas that you might have done a little bit wrong. And it's a little bit easier to understand. Now you've already done the practice work on it. It's almost like, you know, doing math problems back in school.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you read the book, The Flipping Blueprint by Luke Weber? I haven't. It's a good one, man. Really good one for those that are looking to rehab houses. Even as a seasoned rehabber, I thought it was a phenomenal book. And Luke's one of my mentors. So he also did a podcast, and I think he was episode four or six, I forget, really good episode with Luke. And also the floating Blueprint is a really good book if you're looking for a new book.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Just understanding the mechanics of everything is really all you need to know. It doesn't, you don't have to get bogged down with the details, mm-hmm. understand the concepts and the high level version of stuff. And you can get a lot of things done. And one thing I always try to tell new people and, and everyone is, you know, only worry about steps one, two, and three. Don't worry about seven, eight, and nine. Cause you know, you can only see so far and as you keep working down your path, you can see further once you get there.
0: Definitely. Okay. So Mike, was my favorite question I get to ask everybody? Tell me about the craziest deal you ever went through. It might be one I'm working on now. <laughs> okay. Tell us a little bit about it. So without any names
1: or locations, um, we had a property, a lady called us and she was trying to sell her house. She had a list with an agent. We said, you know, we don't buy houses that are listed. It's not where we're at. Um, if it should become unlisted, give us a call back. You know, we can, we can do everything fast if that's what you're looking for, but you're always gonna likely make more money with an agent. You just might have to jump through a few more hoops. Well, she called back a month later, took a drastic reduction off of what it was listed for, told us that she had no longer under contract with the agent and wanted to close quickly because she had a health issue and wanted to move somewhere else. So right. we, we moved quickly. We got the property, we bought it directly as a company and we are currently owners of it, but we have a buyer that wants to buy it. Well, with her issues, we told her, you know, she asked for um, 30 days of occupancy. That was uh, 60 days ago.
0: Oh boy, I knew (laughs) that was going. As soon as you said she asked for that, I was like, oh boy.
1: Yeah, well, that was 60 days ago. Um, After we bought the property, her agent called us saying that it was still listed and that they never canceled their contract. Her mother called me and explained to me that she was a pathological liar. Oh, and then I found out that she claimed she lost all of the money we gave her in a Ponzi scheme of some sort, like three days after we gave it to her. Oh, no. So it is so many different wheels. But I mean, we just kind of, what we're doing is all this data and information, it's kind of irrelevant to us at this point in time because we just started an eviction process, should be wrapping up here any day now, unfortunately. Um, and we're just going to move forward selling the property and probably have a sheriff have to throw her out. But it is oh. crazy. To, it's like a soap opera of all the different things going on,
0: <laughs> man. That's pretty crazy, dude. <laughs> oh man, man. Oh man. But you ever, I, mean, you, I just had this conversation good. with one of our other, my last podcast, Guess I had a very similar thing where the, the seller asked for an extension out to live in there and didn't do an escrow holdback. And, uh, that was like the biggest lesson I like to teach people is always do an escrow hold back on those kind of deals.
1: Yeah, we kept five grand back. Did you? So, I mean, Perfect. We, yeah, yeah we that's were, what I do. We, it's gonna cover the eviction and everything, <clears throat> but we lost a month of time. We had to sure. hold on to it, so cost the money, eat some of that up. And you know, the thing is though, you know, the moral of this entire story, that's what we as investors are doing, right? We're solving unique problems. If it was easy, they'd go and list it with an agent and it'd be, you know, one, two, three, done.
0: <laughs> Not so simple. <laughs> Oh man. All right, Mike. So are you a book guy? I am. Okay. So tell me what's your favorite book you've ever read. I know it's a tough one. And then tell me what book you're currently reading.
1: Oh, there's a tie between two. Is that allowed? That's fine.
0: Sure. That works.
1: Okay. The two that I found probably the most helpful for me as a business mind and actual implementation, Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. It's all about uh, multiplying your time and running things through what they call a focus funnel. So basically giving you permission to only work on whatever it is that is most important at the time. It kind of marries up with, you know, the one thing a little bit, but this one's more um, actual process driven. It gives you a little bit more of an action plan versus versus, you know, one thing's kind of more in theory. So this one kind of gives you like a workflow on how to evaluate what it is you're working on, and what's your most important priority, and then keep kicking the stuff away that isn't the most productive use of your time for the longest amount of time. So it has a, a third layer of effectiveness that they build into it. So I found that incredibly valuable. And the other one is traction. That, that, okay. that one is what we're actually really, really working on implementing as a part of our business this year. And that's basically a roadmap to building an effective business that has accountability, has clear goals, has clear steps to achieve those goals. And what I'm reading now is actually Rocket Fuel, which is the follow-up to traction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't read that one because... my partner and I are still trying to figure out if both of us are visionaries or integrators or if we need to hire one or how that needs to work. So I'm I'm reading the book to get more clarity so I can determine what the best next steps for our business are.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Traction is one that's on our list to, to implement that stuff in 2018 as well. And then we'll have to do rocket fuel when it's all said and done as well.
1: Yeah. I think those are just, that book is so actionable, no matter where you're at. Like, my wife and I are planning in the next few days to do a, a annual pulse just for our family. So we have mm-hmm. ideas and goals where we're going just personally. Cause don't forget, you know, we, we do this business so we can have a personal life too.
0: <laughs> right. Right. That's the guy who my, my wife said to me uh, yesterday, I think it was just like, Hey, did, have you looked at our goals from 27 or 2017? I was like, no, I haven't looked at our personal goals. She's like, yeah, we definitely miserably failed on those personal goals, but the business goals were pretty good. Um, <laughs> so you lose sight of it sometimes.
1: Well, I think part of the problems of us entrepreneurs and and business startup people are, we think we can take on everything. And then we find out that we can only actually truly be good at a few things at a time. doesn't mean we can't accomplish a lot, but you know, it's almost tortoise versus the hair. You have to be able to slowly knock down the most important thing that's in front of you and not try to take on too much. So, you know, if I have 15 goals personally and professionally, there's no way there's enough, hours in the day or days in the week or days in the year that we can get them all done. And then it kind of feels like a failure. So identifying, the you know, the top things that'll get you closer to your long-term goals to do now are really important. And that's really what traction's
0: about a lot. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So Mike, uh, any parting words you have for the Alliance and anybody listening? Don't be afraid to take
1: action. You know, the, there's a lot of resources out there. People are very generous for the most part. I would try to find somebody locally, if you can, that's doing what you wanna do a little bit further down the road. Doesn't even necessarily have to be exactly what you're doing, but someone that is investing and try to spend some time with them. Um, That's been really helpful. I found people that are further down the path than me my entire career so far. And it's allowed me to shortcut this process pretty fast. You know, I feel like the growth we've had from when I started basically three years ago to, you know, doing over a million year now, was by finding people that were smarter than me further down the road than me and just copying them and then doing slight tweaks. So, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can just follow blueprints. Doesn't mean you don't have to do the work. Doesn't mean you don't have to adjust for your local market because every place is a little bit differently. But the general steps are pretty common everywhere you go.
0: Yeah, I would. That's, that's awesome stuff, man. I mean, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. There is no need to reinvent the wheel. It's all the same stuff. The numbers don't lie. Just make it your own, like, you know, your branding, your marketing, make it your own, but it's all the same stuff.
1: Yeah. hundred percent agree.
0: Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show today. Um, you know, guys, you know, make sure you reach out to Mike. I'm going to make sure he gets added to our flipping, uh, real estate, like the pros, uh, podcast group on Facebook. So if you have any questions for Mike, uh, I'm sure he'll be willing to answer anything you've got on that, in that group.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I love helping people. I got a lot of help and I'm more than happy to give it back.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. You've just listened to another flipping real estate, like the pros podcast. You're another step closer to fulfilling your dreams as a successful real estate entrepreneur. We'd like to thank you for putting your trust in us to be your guide into this exciting venture called real estate investing. For more information, visit our website at www.flippingrealestatelikethepros.com. Catch you on the Flipside Alliance.